Welcome to the podcast. I'm Richard McLean. I'm Steel Zeldi. And this is Please Leave a Message. That's the reason that the podcast is called Please Leave a Message. All right, nice. And for the first couple episodes, people were calling in. I think because my co-creator has more internet influence than I do. But since he dropped out, I, nobody calls in anymore. But please leave a message. Uh, the phone oh, number is <laughs> the phone number we have is eight zero one sketch one. That's eight zero one seven five three eight two four one. So yeah, call in, leave us a message. I've been asking for stories, gaming stories, or the craziest thing that ever happened to you. But really right now, I don't care what you're calling about. Just give us a call and leave us a message and we'll feature it on the show. Sweet. Post it on our Snapchat. <laughs> so we're going to do things a little bit different this week. Normally we just kind of sit and chat and we feature pieces of found audio that I've come across. Steele's been wanting to come over and do some sampling. And so we've got everything set up so that we can record from records or tapes or uh, VHS or Laserdisc or whatever we yep. feel like recording from. And we're just going to mess around and we're going to record it and hopefully I can edit it into a podcast Yep. in the end. So This will be fun. I'm excited. All right. So what do you want to start with? Alright, so we've kind of just set up a few things. One of the things I really like to do when I'm trying to be creative, especially when I'm kind of starting something from scratch, or just working on... I would say as a producer, there's a lot you can be doing that's not even like recording or writing. I mean, I guess it can involve recording, such as... You could be building templates, you could be putting together drum kits, you could be finding samples to group together, you could be processing samples, you could be just building yourself sample kits out of stuff you've sampled... Um, so many things you could be doing. You could be working on dialing in plugins and building templates just by as you're processing audio. Like all this little work you do contributes to other stuff. As you're working on other sessions, as you're doing other projects, you could use stuff that never made it in the song. Like export that stuff out and make sample packs out of that. I know a lot of producers that will take big tracks that they do and they'll export just everything out, chop it all up, and put them out as sample packs for people to download. Some stuff that didn't make it in the track, some stuff that did make it in the track. Um, and that's just constantly more content. I mean, you can sample and resample and re-sample things, re-imagine, you know, re-imagine it. Obviously, if you're not careful with the way you're processing things, you can ruin stuff. But sometimes ruining is okay in the right context. You know, one little ruined thing is amongst other good right. sounding things. So you just got to be careful. And obviously, like with all the analog and digital technologies out there, there's so many options that haven't even been explored yet. So many different combinations of different things that you can try that will yield different sounds, like totally crazy different sounds. So, it's a lot of cool stuff to do. So, um, Richard's got a cool record we're starting with. What's this record? Tell us a little bit about it. This is kind of cool one. I told Richard to grab um, anything eclectic or weird, just any genre, any kind of sound. He has a lot of cool 
kind of sciencey uh, production demonstration albums that are cool. So tell us about this one. So yeah, I really like stereo demonstration records. When stereo was new, they really were pushing it. They wanted people to really be able to hear the difference between mono and stereo sound. Yeah. And on the stereo demonstration records, they really push it. So sometimes you even get this ping-pongy effect yeah. where they're just really trying to push the fact that you've got two different speakers. Yeah, I feel like this is sampling gold. I mean, like, with modern production, we always want stuff to sound wide, so with the stereo demonstration, it's definitely have width. So this one's really fun, because this one is from 1959, I believe, wow, which was, old. it's like, awesome. is it 59? There's like everything on here. There's sounds, there's jet engines. We were listening to it earlier. And there's voices, I mean, I mean there's uh, countdowns, I mean this is like right here, I can already hear EDM bangers you can, stuff you can pull out of this record. There's these awesome old almost radio broadcast voice, super clean but it has that warm, very smooth breakup that that old analog gear had. You can hear it's going through a tube compressor for sure, the, that vocal. That's one thing that's awesome about sampling stuff like this, is they used really, I mean, back in those days, that gear could have been millions of dollars. Those studios. Oh yeah. You could be literally using audio quality of stuff that's a multi-million dollar gear. And it was never used in um, you know, mainstream sound. You're almost giving it rebirth into farther than it was ever meant to go. I wanted to look up the year on this because, yeah, 1959 is correct. Which, when I, I told a buddy of mine that's really into audio about this record because not only is it a really awesome to listen to record, it's beautiful. Oh yeah, uh, visually, yeah. Yeah, it's it's blue and red and yellow and it's all kind of smooshed together and you can kind of see through it. Reminds me of those little rubber balls you can get out of the different colors, you know what I mean? Bouncy and balls. They melted together yeah. into like a ball. Yeah, and so that's that's kind of what this record looks like. So, and, and when I told my buddy that's like really into audio, he's like, 59? Didn't stereo come out in like 64 or something like that? I can't remember yeah. the exact years, but this is a really, really, really early. So this is before it was like commercially it, wide. Right, and like they had to, on, on the inner sleeve. So it was cutting edge technology. Yeah, know? it's it's so bleeding cutting edge. edge bleeding edge. There's It's so bleeding edge that they didn't have stereo equipment to record on. They had to cobble stuff together to be able to do this. So. Yeah, it's crazy. And they probably had to do a lot, like, think about the math. Like, they had to actually do that. Now we have algorithms and everything that, like, can figure out stereo. They had to go, okay, how are we going to make this lifelike? With two audio sources, ready, go. Just blows me away how smart people are. So here's some cool synth stuff right here. Oh, we didn't hear. Do you want to record anything? Or? Oh, yeah. Then just keep going. Okay. Oh, yeah, I want this. Back it up. Okay. Perfect. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Just gonna drop the needle. Oh yeah, this is great. I'm looking at the audio file, and you can see a lot of stereo movement back and forth. Where's my preamp meter? Is it here or here? Um, I didn't see a lot of signal. Oh, there, there. Uh, 
Just wait for me to show you some down. Let me keep doing this. Now we're doing it, and I'm like, oh, I want it. There's sports car racing going on there, and the sounds are just tremendous. The one we went to the studio? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, maybe that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I think that just the right. history of stereo sound? Well, that's why I really like the the stereo demonstration records are fun. But then I even got I've got the quad demonstration records. Yeah, I'm gonna show me one that I really liked. Maybe we can bust that one out at some point. Oh, there's still some stuff on here I want to go through. And if you hear anything you want, just, just grab it too. I'm trying to hear. Like, you can always use anything, but I'm trying to hear like what's going on in my head already. I hear that race car, I'm like, what could I really use that unless it's trying to obviously be a race car? <laughs> Definitely an awesome. Here's another thing, just finding material, I mean that in itself takes time. Like you almost you gotta like tell yourself, alright, I'm gonna take two hours a week going through material. Right. You're almost like a human filter. That's part of what people understand about DJing is it really is an art form picking the right music. Just listen to this jet bomber go by. Oh I Yeah I want the jet bomber. Do you? Okay. It's like a good It's like a riser. I can reverse that you already played. Is there a slower one? Huh? Oh, oh. oh nice. Hey, give me that. Okay. Yeah, go for it. I got all that too. Listen to this jet bomber go by. getting a little late now. We better get back to town. I want you to do that again. Can you, uh, manually, hey, we're really you manually turn that? With us in Beckert? Oh, man, we're real. Yeah, I want, I, want you to, I want you to take some creative liberties of messing with that bomber. You want to be a little weird? Well, I'm not recording. Let me get it. I'm just packing it up. break on this so it doesn't oh I could let me test something jet bomber go by 
is. Oh, you know, I've, I've needed some good vinyl things. I mean, a couple of scratches. I don't know how to scratch, actually. Not like a scratch, but just like a whoop. Yeah, just some of that stuff. Yeah, I don't know how to scratch in there. I think you kind of need two turntables and a cross thingy. Like <laughs> a crossfader. So crazy you can hear the grooves. You can hear the needle going. Sweet. All right, let's keep playing. Uh, it's getting a little late now. We better get back to town. So what's next? Hey, we're really in luck. Here comes a Southern Pacific freight train. There's a train on almost every single demonstration record. It's a good, like, relatable thing. And it's such a stereo. What's this stuff? That's songs that are on site, too. Um, swing, big band, rag. One of these is really cool, I think. Oh, which one is it? I think this last one is kind of wild. very modern recording studio, but back in 1900, the most up-to-date studio recorded music okay, so what I want sounded is, like this. What I want is the most, you'll hear the most beautiful sound of music, or whatever that phrase was. Oh, okay, yeah. Now I'll take you to the Bell Condo recording studio. Well, you'll hear the greatest sound of all, music. The only thing I wish is almost that it wasn't that car. Oh yeah, it's only coming on one channel. Shortly over 20 years later, the epitome of sound reproduction was accepted to be in the long playing 33 and a third RPM disc. Technology is changing faster and faster. Yeah, it is. It's kind of annoying sometimes because nothing has a chance to really mature. Yeah. 
Well, I have to admit that was fine sound reproduction. But now, listen to the finest. Bel Canto. Uh, you want to grab is that, that is fine sound reproduction. What did you say right before that? It's a fine sound reproduction. You're not playing right. Well, I have to admit that was fine sound reproduction. But now, listen to the finest. Bel Canto, stereophonic sound. Let's see if this is history. Is this yes, this is Bell Cato stereophonic sound. Oh, the sound it. creates the illusion that you're actually having a live performance. For Bell Cato, record sound as you actually hear it, that is, with both ears. This is the basic principle behind authentic stereophonic sound. Stereo enables you to locate and identify sounds in the area from which they actually originated, thus giving you the realism of a live performance. Again, let's go back sure. to the old acoustical recording. So, um, we've taken the diaphragm off of uh, the Edison cylinder recorder, and then they've gone through several different iterations trying to find the best way to, to record electronically. So they've got this thing on there now. You sit it down on there and it's a modern uh, now, phonograph needle that's electric and you just lower it down onto the, the old cylinder record and record it that way. It works well. It works really well. Oh yeah, I think there's one on, one song on there that... Yeah, maybe we just tear through the songs real fast yeah. and see what we got. So yeah, the... Um, the funny thing is, though, we've got this really expensive preamp, and it has different buttons for different eras nice. that records were made in different companies that would use slightly different RIAA curve. Mm -hmm. Well, the RIAA curve is a certain curve, but not everybody followed it exactly, and it took a while to evolve to what it... Standardized. When they finally standardized it. And there's a button on there, because those cylinder records, the needle moves up and down, rather than left and right. Yeah. And so you have to account for that uh, using some cancellation. But that particular unit is busted right now. Oh no. And so we were just using another unit for just recording modern stuff. And so we were sending these cylinder records through an RAAA curve and it makes them sound amazing because oh, it really boosts the bass uh -huh. in them. They, they sound so modern, it's like crazy. sounding. Like they're still obviously old recordings, and what's the like genre content? Oh, they're all over the place. Like there's a lot of ragtime, there's a lot of religious stuff, a lot of like folk music type stuff, a lot of uh, like classical style stuff. Like they wouldn't bring in a whole symphony or something, but they might get a singer. Quartets. Yeah. So nice. <laughs>
you're saying, see on this side you can see there's little rings. They put some just blank space between the songs so there's oh, a okay. visible ring. sampling world they call it exposed so that, that first song I could actually use some of those you know those like snare like stabs those big those like on the this is the one I was thinking it's like gospel on how they recorded it. Um, I've got a piece of software where you can instead of right. So I've got a piece of software where instead of viewing it in the time space where you see a waveform, you view it in the frequency space. And so it's a color chart where down at the bottom is your bases and up at the top is your uh, high frequencies. Just depending on how strong the frequency is, there it's a brighter color. And so sometimes with that, you can just kind of narrow in and just grab stuff right off of it. It, it tends in the lower frequencies, tends stuff tends to just mud together anyway. But that's just how lower. If you've got higher frequency information, you can sometimes pinpoint it. Like if you hear a cell phone ring on a recording, I mean that is so obvious that you can just paint it out with Photoshop. Oh really? Yeah. Oh wow. That's hilarious. Huh. Take me to the very beginning of the song again. Okay. Kind of like I could chop parts of it. Just use it as like a pad almost. And then the drums in there, I would just layer other drums on because I just make sure they hit on the quarter notes. In the beginning where I didn't really I didn't know it was there. The initial like
because okay. music's exposed. Stuff like that, you could literally grab one note out of it and sample it on a sampler and then just have a whole keyboard of it. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Okay. Do you think those are high enough that? Yeah, I think so. And the bass isn't super prominent, anyways. Yeah. Hit record and we'll just. I've got tons of Exotica records. Martin Denny. with guitars and my analog synths. It's kind of fun to like have all these different source materials and then find cohesive sounds that work together as packs. Yeah. You want me to put this one up? Yeah. Throw it on. Oh yeah, so for all of you guys listening, this next record, in fact this is your record, how about you introduce the records? So this is actually one of my favorite records from oh, when I was a kid. This one is hanging on the wall, so this is an important record. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just point it out, guys. There's a whole bunch of records on shelves, and there's a one on the wall. Well, I put this little shelf here, so whatever I was playing, I could just. All right, so that's your cue. Set there. So, so, ladies and gentlemen, this was in his cue. Yeah, this is. Uh, this was on deck. Walt Disney's official album of Disneyland, Walt Disney World. I grew up listening to this over and over and over and over and over again. So, is this the soundtracks from their rides, right? Um, well, this is from the park, and so the first one is the Main Street Electrical Parade. Do you know the history of that song? Nope. Do you know that song? Um, maybe. Is you it might, on there? Yeah, you, you might recognize it. I just found this out recently. So, this song was actually written by one of the pioneers of electronic music. Cool. Kingsley and... That's what's so crazy. I had no idea, but electronic music goes back as like early as like the Beatles and like... Oh, yeah. It was just very experimental, very sciencey in the early, early days. Mm-hmm. It, wasn't, it wasn't as enjoyable Perry. to listen to. Jacques, oh, I think I know that Jacques name. Perry. Yeah. And the other guy's name is Kingsley. Weren't they kind of like a collective or something? I, I don't know. But they were like early, early, early electronic. Well, those early electronic people were in these like collectives and they would have these buildings where everyone would contribute gear so people could come in and use their gear and collaborate. It was almost like these collaborative synth studios. So the funny thing about this. That, I know that name. Yeah, Jean-Jacques Perry, 
Gershon Kingsley. So yeah, Jean-Jacques Perry and Is that the guy French? Yeah, they're both French. So they uh, they wrote this song called um, a lot of good French music. It's crazy. <laughs> called Baroque Hoedown is the name of the song. And so what? What? what is it like a folk song? No, that's it's one. It's the song they wrote. It was called Baroque Hoedown. It's okay. It's electronica, but it has a little bit of a, a hoedown kind of a feel to it. And then when Disney created the Main Street Electrical Parade in the seventies, they licensed the song from him, and they added like Disney stuff on top of it. Mm. And uh, Perry didn't even know. His people had worked with the Disney people and licensed it to them, but they never told him about it. So years later, he was at Disneyland, and he saw the parade. He's like, this is a fully orchestrated version of my song. This is great. How come nobody ever told me about this? (laughs) When was this record uh, produced? This particular one? Oh, this one does have a date. MCMLXXX. Back up like a minute. 
Yeah. See, the, the first of it is kind of the bear just Baroque hoedown. And then they start layering all the Disney music on top of that. That's so funny. But but you, you can listen, you can hear the Baroque hoedown just kind of repeats and repeats in the background. Yeah. You want to grab that beginning? Um, maybe before we lose it, if you were close to where we just were, I like that. It almost sounded like it was like, as it, right when it started getting quieter, like right when the fade out started. Okay. I just liked how that little harpsichord synthy sound was just like, very kind of trips it. Right now it's just too hoedown-y. But it loses the, uh, right at the very end it starts losing that hoedown vibe, and now it starts having a cool pattern. Right. 
one is a four bar phrase. This whole weaving thing. That in this. That's that's Elliot from uh, Pete's Dragon. It's the dragon, and that's him blowing fire. Oh. It's very froggy. <laughs> Melody we just heard. Who's afraid of Big Bad Wolf? Oh, okay. Ooh, I want that. Yeah? Well, they say it a lot. You just want to get recorded. Yo, ho, yo, ho, a pirate's life for me. 
Him a tinky 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 room And a tinky 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 room All the birds in work and the flowers groom Him a tinky 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 room Welcome to our tropical hideaway You lucky people you If we weren't in the show starting right away We'd be in the old day and soup All together in the tinky 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 room In the tinky 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 room All the birds sing word and the flowers groom In the tinky 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 room Excerpts. I have a full album of the Tiki Room and the Country Bear Jamboree. Nice. Like a whole, it's the whole show that they would play at the, That's cool. the park. These excerpts are working pretty well. If they put the voice in the middle, I've got something that'll pull that, pull whatever's in the middle out. Howdy, folks! Welcome to the one and only original country band Jamboree, featuring a bit of Americana, our musical heritage of the past. But enough of this chit chat, yak yak, and flip flying. Just refrain from hibernating. <laughs> and we'll all enjoy the show. Well, bow, bow, I think on the full album they played out of the riff without any vocals over it. We want to move on to uh, something that's going to have some cool percussion stuff on it. Okay, here, I got something for you. Side B. 
see those early snare. Yeah, I like that. Nice, yeah, I was like to collect snares and flams and fells. Did I ever play you this record? I don't know. It looks kind of familiar, but I'm not sure. Okay. I'll play this song for everybody because when I found out that this thing existed, mm -hmm. I imported this from Spain just so I could have it. It's track three. This is just because I think you need to hear it. <laughs> what does that weight do again? Um, it stabilizes the record, like if it's cupped, mm. it kind of flattens it, kind of holds it still. Let's see, that's one, two, three. I'm probably going to have time for maybe one more. <laughs> What's, what record is this? This is Carl Gott. When was it released or produced? Um, I'm not sure. This is in German. 60s, 70s? I think 60s. You'll recognize the song. I will. Oh, yeah, for sure. Not that you've never heard this version, but you will recognize the song. For some reason, it comes in a little flat. Just the tech, like the way he plays yeah. it, it's so human. But like masterful. It's almost sloppy and masterful because it sounds like anguish. That was brilliant playing.
missed the like millisecond of the first hit. Oh, okay. Dang, it's like, <gasps> oh, it's so good. This may be my favorite thing we've listened to. <laughs> like, hold on, just listen to this. When we record it, but just listen. I might even keep this version, just, I don't know. Listen to the voice. <gasps> it's like recognizable, but it's also just wacky out there. Yeah. I'll try it again, sorry. I know it's all good. Just a split second too late. You know what I mean? Can you, does it sound like you're missing the initial transition? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it's recording. Okay. I'm going to just crack the needle and see where I ended up. Same section, right? I stopped being the edge for one second. Was that the same section? It's like right here? Yeah. Or it gets a little quieter. What's, not, what's great about Ableton, it makes it so easy to warp stuff like this on a grid that's not on a grid. Mm -hmm. Ableton's really good at that. Cool. Well, I think that's a good stopping point. Okay. I wish we could keep going. <laughs> it's my birthday on Friday. I'm mean, camping and I'm like juggling all this stuff. With all right. All that. Yeah. Well, let's, um, gonna, I'd like to come back as soon as I'm back and do grab some more. So I want to get a little more percussion stuff. Okay. And then maybe some other. I'll pull out some jazz, shit. pull out some. Yeah. Uh, pull out some. I want to hear some more. You know, I want to hear some more of those experimental. Remember ones we heard at cool. Oh, I've got a bunch of that kind of stuff too. Yeah, sound effecty things, one shots. Cool. Yeah, it was, who was it? I've got a friend that wants to do an Exotica record because he found that, um, I guess he heard a, an interview with, I think it was Lex Baxter or Martin Denny, one of the two, and all of the, so they have all these like bird noises and stuff, jungly noises on their album, uh -huh. and uh, it's just the band members making those noises <laughs> with their mouths. That's <laughs> how old it is. I it sound like all this foley and stuff. Yeah. Sweet. Maybe we'll hit your system first and try to plot vocals and do whatever we want to do that way, and then we'll send it all to Ableton after that. Okay. Whatever so works for you. <coughs> EQ and tricks and kind of show me how you do things. I do your audio restoration. I want to see that side of things. Okay. We'll do some audio restoration. Get everything sounding cool. And we'll throw it in Ableton and use what Ableton does. I'll bring push next time. Nice. I've never used Ableton, so. Yeah, push. I wish I had push too because they've enhanced. It has an LED screen on it, LCD. Where you can see the waveforms. Mm -hmm. Something that's really cool about it is you can play like a bar of music like that, 
you can see the thing going and you can you can have it warp and all these things or you can just tap the pads and it literally just slices right when you tap it. So mm -hmm. like, here, 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 done. Now you have it all chopped up. Right. So some cool like things you can do that way. And it's really easy to pitch shift things and it has the sampler it already has like a filter built into it and an LFO built into it. It can do pitch modulation to the sample all in the one plugin, not to mention any other plugin you can add to right. it. We can map all that to knobs and start doing stuff in real time and automating it. So we call this portion of the podcast I Tick. We ask everyone the same questions to find out what makes them tick. So we have with us, uh, well, tell us your name and what you do. My name is Adam Cloud, and I'm Chief Technology Officer and Software Architect for a company called Renatus. Basically, I do all our programming, and uh, I have us all in the cloud. Oh, <laughs> How very appropriate. Yeah. It's All actually right. been one of my passions growing up, and uh, they pay me to do it. So tell us your earliest memory. Okay. So my earliest memory is back when I was two or three. My family was living in a in a duplex in a cul-de-sac near Granger High School. And what I remember, and I've, I've had some of this information corroborated by my mother about, you know, names and who, who people were, but this this girl who was my babysitter, she babysat us often. She lived across the street from us, and I remember walking over to her house, and she's in her doorway with the door open, and she's holding a big bag of popsicles. I want one. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sure how I engaged, but apparently she wouldn't give me one. I do remember her teasing me, like she was going to give me one, but giving one to somebody else. Okay. And I don't remember what happened between then and, and what happened next, but I do remember she spanked me. <laughs> And I remember running home crying because my babysitter spanked me because I wanted a popsicle. <laughs> and so obviously that was the initial wound of life. <laughs> nice. So I spent my, my life coming back from that, you know, all, all the walls I built up. It all leads back to that popsicle. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Tell us another story from your childhood, something that's influenced you, maybe something you haven't shared often. Okay. Not very many people know this about me. But anybody who grew up with me probably knows. Early on, I would say about third grade, I'd take apart our family's computer. Why? I'm not sure. But I'd take it apart because I was curious. Okay. And the first time, they, they caught me early on before I really like pulled things out. And, like, you know, they don't know how to put them back together. Right. But at some point, they didn't get to me in time, so I'd taken apart everything. But then I went and learned how to put it back together. Right. Because of that, like my dad, he leaned in and he supported me 100%. I, know, I remember my mom was pissed and she was not about it, but he actually bought my, my own computer. Now, it wasn't as good as a family one, but it was right. for the purpose of learning. So I'd take it apart and like on a weekly to bi-weekly basis, we would go and upgrade something about it. Not that it needed to be upgraded, but just because it was about the whole process of taking it apart and adding things to it. And so I look at like my skill set that I have now in the world. Like I'm, I'm a software developer. I'm, I'm DevOps. I, I handle our infrastructure. I handle the architecture that we're using. And I do, do development. And pretty much anything IT, even if it's not my specific field, I know enough to get started. Mm -hmm. And I look back and I know that, you know, parents have a choice in those moments about how they show up for their kids. And I remember my mom, she wanted me to do acting because I was a melodramatic kid. Oh, okay. Still am. 
<laughs> but she wanted me to do acting. And so she was not about the whole computer stuff, but my dad embraced it. And it's what I do and it's what I love to do. It did influence my life because in sixth grade came around and I got done with our math program, like within the first couple months of school, like apparently it was supposed to last throughout the year. Mm-hmm. SRA math, I think, I believe it was. And I finished it early on. And so my teacher, Mr. Mangus, he was looking for things for me to do. And he heard from my dad that I was into computers. So he got Hill Air Force Base, or I believe it, he had got, another teacher got Hill Air Force Base to donate a bunch of parts because they had upgraded their machines and they had all these spare parts. Okay. So they just donated all of them. And between what they had there, I was able to put together, I believe, 64 computers. Oh, wow. And so I put them all together, got them all up on the school's network. I had I had my big A-plus book in sixth grade. I had to carry that thing around with me. I was a freaking nerd. But, I, you know, I'd reference it for whatever. I got it all connected to their, their Novell software. I remember before that, they had they all they had was Macs. And so they pushed all those to one side of the computer room, built a wall down, and then had all my computers on the side. And so I'm now at that elementary school. There's a, a plaque on the wall that has my name on it. And nice. That really set the tone for my career and, and what I do just because I had somebody that was willing to lean in and support me 100%. So That is awesome. Share with us a piece of music that's been highly influential in your life. A song that's really been influential in my life is a song called I Believe by Blessed Union of Souls. I'm sure back in the day you heard it all over the radio. It's not all over the radio anymore, but it was a song that when my parents, my parents would fight. And because they're both passionate people, things would get pretty heated. And so we'd all, you know, kids go off to our rooms. And when it was okay, when things were okay and things were done, my dad would be playing the piano. And that's one of the songs that he would play. He plays by ear, and so he has all this stuff he plays. Not any particular song, it's just him playing. One of the songs that he played was, I believe, by Blessing Union of Souls. And so throughout life, why I say it's influential for me is that piano has always been comforting for me. You know, if I'm stressed out, I'll just put on some piano music, something. And so the music aspect of it was really influential throughout most of my teenage years and and young adult years. And then as I became an adult and, you know, started opening up my eyes to the world and all the things that go on and, and, you know... I, I dive deep into the dark parts of the internet and researching and, and when there's email leaks that can be verified, like I'm pawing through that stuff. I'm assisting and organizing. So like this picture of the world that's just bleak and, and saddening the words of the song. He talks about the state of the world and about how love is the answer. And for him, it was, it's big in that like his world, I mean, that the man who wrote the song, he's, he's black and the girl he's in a relationship with her father, apparently it must be racist or something because he's not receptive to that mixed race relationship. And so for him, he was just, I just want to love. Like, love is the answer. Love will fix all of the problems we have in the world. So it then kind of brought up, you know, full circle where now as an adult, it's impacted me in that way where I'm kind of, ultimately all any of us really want is to give and receive love. So true. There was a time where all that hippy-dippy stuff kind of drove me nuts. And their politics still do. Mm Mm-hmm. But they're not wrong. Love is the answer to everything, you know? And so it's it's kind of an odd dichotomy to me to where you're right, but you're wrong. <laughs> Balance. Love is not about taking away somebody else's free will and choice. Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, share with us a piece of media that's been highly influential in your life. The Final Speech by Charlie Chaplin from The Great Dictator. Again, it's one of those, as an adult listening to it, he he goes through the list of what society has molded us 
to be, or rather, more accountably, what we have allowed society to mold us to be. And all the ways we play into that machine of greed, of corruption, we have a two-party system, and not to get political, but we have a two-party system where people often place themselves on one or the other. And it creates a separation. You know, we, we put each other in boxes and we put these labels on, and by doing that, we are literally saying, you are there and I am here. And we're creating separation. And so he talks about, don't give yourselves to these men, these brutes, who lie and cheat and treat you as cattle or whatever words he uses. Just how it, the message, it just hits home for me and reminds me of what I don't want to be, but then also how I choose to show up in this world. I saw a version of it where they put it to music, which is... Oh I've, yeah, I've seen that too. And it's just how the music... It's so rousing. Like, <laughs> yeah! Yeah. Adam, tell us about your passion and why you do it. Well, I would say that I choose to do everything passionately, but... I do have three things that when people ask me what my passions are, they are the ones that really stand out. And one is what I do for a living. I love programming. I love to write songs, music in general, singing. And I also love volunteering. I do a lot of volunteer work at the self-empowerment training that I went through a couple years back. For the programming, and really for programming and writing songs, I get to create. And we all have our divine creator that created us. And I feel like as I step into the creative energy of creating a program, of creating a song, you know, having that expression come out of me, that I'm getting in touch with the energy that is the divine creator. And so it's connecting. It is my passion for a reason. You know, it brings me to life. And what I love about programming, and it's kind of how it relates to volunteer work, is that people come to me with their solutions, with their wants. You know, I want to create this. I want a business that does this. I want a business, but I need to be able to do this. And I have the skill set and the know-how to know what questions to ask to gather all the information so that I can create the solution that's going to best fit their needs. And, you know, it's funny. I, I give programming as gifts sometimes. I remember back when I was in the 10th grade, there was this girl that I had a crush on. And we talked about Moulin Rouge. I actually took clips from Moulin Rouge and picture snapshots. And I made a little program. It was the dinkiest program was early on in my, in my learning to program. I was writing in uh, Delphi. Oh, wow. All it did is it opened up and it had the ability for her to click to go look at images or to go look at clips. And it was, uh, it was just a program, so I gave it to her on a CD. I don't know that she ever opened it, but I gave it to her <laughs> for Valentine's Day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I love giving gifts of programming at work because, like, you know, I have my normal schedule, but if I do work on my own time, I can work on whatever I want. So I put little Easter eggs in or the things that were given low priority that just I know will make them really happy. And so I'm like, hey, Merry Christmas, surprise. <laughs> Um, so that's one of my passions, and it's because I, I have the ability to connect with people and, and bring joy, and and, uh, and I love it. And then writing songs, it's both therapeutic for me, but also it's very, again, connecting in that I know that songs are an expression of the artist. And so I'm getting to give of myself for other people to see in a, in a very vulnerable way that often people don't get experience of me. And when people listen to my music... It's just like a picture. They come from their own set of experiences, their own trials in life, their own heartaches, and they see it through that filter. And so everybody gets a different thing out of the song, but yet they're still able to, in that moment, feel as if they're connected to somebody because somebody else gets what they're feeling. Even if from when I wrote it, I was somewhere else entirely. Right. To them, I get it. I said, I said it just how they got to hear it. And so I, I love writing songs for that purpose. And then also because then with any kind of music, you have the ability for other people to join in mm -hmm. and be a part of their, their part of the symphony, their own unique part. And so I just, I just love music. 
And then volunteer work. I mean, I, I, I volunteer at the self-empowerment training because I went through it back when, I mean, my life was working. I was successful. Had lots of friends, air quotes. But I knew there was more to life than what I was currently experiencing. And, you know, I, I, was, I was at the space in my life where I'd come home from a place where I was surrounded by people that I, I know they love me. But I'd get home and I just didn't feel like I had any friends. And so, like, I took this training and, like, completely changed my life because it was really about, like, holding me in the question of what I know about me and letting go of all the beliefs that I've allowed to cloud what I know, you know, the being what other people want me to be. And so because I completely shifted my life, and now, like, every day is just joyous. Like, I love my life. I love what I do. I love just every moment. I mean, I, in the past six months, just based off of how I engage, I've gotten 14 free meals from Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> And it's simply because they love me. So, like, I love my life. And so I go to these self-empowerment places because it's my way to give back and because I get to be a part of the process for somebody else as they take themselves on, which is really the hardest thing any of us ever do, is to take an honest, accountable look at the ways that we're showing up, the choices we're making, the lies we tell ourselves, and to get rid of that, get rid of those masks, get rid of the walls, get rid of the games, and just engage authentically. Mm -hmm. And so I really love going and volunteering there as well. Fantastic. Yeah. I, I understand exactly where you're coming from with the creative energy. I have to draw. If I get into a funk and I just am not feeling right every day, I know it's because I haven't been drawing and it just, all I have to do is sit down and I become myself again, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and the volunteer thing reminded me of when I've been unemployed a lot lately. I'm, I've got a good job now, but before this, I had a very short-lived job, and between right, right before that and right after that, I had some very long periods of unemployment, which is a very stressful place to be. And I took some employment classes from the LDS Church. One of the things that they teach in their classes on, on getting work is you have to take time every week to give of yourself. So they encourage you to find volunteer opportunities, and they offer volunteer opportunities if you can't find something somewhere else. So they encourage you to come back and teach others what you've just learned. That just that giving of yourself, that getting over yourself, because that's kind of when you're when you're in that funk. You know, I'm unemployed, I'm stressed, I don't have the money, I can't pay my bills, I can't take care of my family. If you can just give of yourself, then things will start to fall into place. So I totally I get that. I yeah. And uh, what I believe about that and why that works is that when you get into that state of, like, you're unemployed and you need something, you stop giving of yourself, and life's about the inflow and the outflow. And if you stop the outflow, you're going to stop the inflow. If you stop the outflow, you'll stop the inflow. So people who also, like, they're successful, but they won't let anybody give to them, right. suddenly things come crashing down. Mm-hmm. And it's just slow. we got to give and take. Because if, if we don't ever allow somebody else, to, if we don't ever allow ourselves to be the receiver, we're robbing somebody else of the opportunity to be right. a giver. Absolutely. Good insight. Thank you. All right. Adam, what makes you tick? Well, as you may have been able to uh, ascertain from the last question, what I just, my passions make me tick. Mm-hmm. I don't know what your experience with me in, in talking about those, but I, I feel like when I'm talking about my passions, I light up because I'm reliving all of that. Oh, absolutely. And so really um, giving and receiving love, that's what makes me tick. Being able to connect with people, being able to connect in an authentic way, because I've experienced, you know, connecting in that in an authentic way where I'm having a mask and it doesn't matter if they, if they like me or love me because that the energy that they're sending my way isn't for me. Right. It's for that mask. And so, um, what makes me tick is, is being me, being authentic and choosing to give up myself. Fantastic. All right. Uh, Adam, if people want to see your work or contact you or hire you, how can they get a hold of you? 
I've been so busy, busy the last couple of years that I haven't made time to actually keep a portfolio online. But I do have my website, teamofprogrammers.com. There's a chat that you can get get to from there if you ever, you know, if you're an online person, you just hop in there and say hi. But for those who are are more uh, structured with emails and stuff like that, I do have my email admin at teamofprogrammers.com, and then I'm also on Facebook. Uh, you can search for me, Adam Cloud, like Cloud in the Sky, and uh, everything's public, so you can touch me, get in touch with me there. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming down. Thanks for having me. Thanks for not kicking me out as soon as I got here. (laughs) I had a good time. I love this. All right. Well, thanks for listening to uh, kind of an experimental episode. Remember, you can find us at pleaseleavemessage.com. We're also on iTunes and tune in. You can listen to us Tuesdays at 6 o'clock at www.freeradioprobo.tk. And please call. Please call and uh, leave us a message. Tell us albums that it would be awesome to sample off of. You can get us at 801-SKETCH-1. That's 801-SKETCH-1, which is 801-753-8241. Just call us and talk to us, and we'll feature you on the show. Thanks for listening.